Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. Our guest today is Delano Phillips. He is general counsel and head of business development at Hanna Dispensaries. We're going to talk to him about the Arizona market, what's going on there, kind of all the kind of interesting kind of growth that has happened. I think as most people know, Arizona went recreational beginning of the year, and it's been interesting to see that market develop. And we're going to talk to Delano about how this has played out, the market before this, how it's uh, going in 2021 and where the future is going to go, and the work they're doing in cannabis and the work they're developing, uh, properties they're developing, facilities they're developing, the dispensaries. We're going to get into really what it's like to run a business in the, in the Arizona market. So with that, Delano, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you. And it's Delano. Sorry to correct you. Uh, sorry. <laughs> I've been doing it since kindergarten. So. I have followed it. Delano, <laughs> no, it's, it's a pleasure. Okay. There's three ways to say it in my yeah, exactly. So Delano. So thank you. No, appreciate you having me on. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you here. So before we dig into what's going on and the dispensaries and what you're working on now, what's the background? How did you get into cannabis? What, tell us about Hannah. Go to, give us the backstory. Yeah, you, well, I, I guess growing up in Colorado helped. Uh, you know, obviously, since they're kind of, uh, besides California, you know, pioneering in this, in this uh, area. And so uh-huh. I really, you know, 
obviously there's you no know, use that happens when you're in high school and all that, but I wasn't really a, a huge, you know, cannabis user, you know, prior to becoming of age. But, you know, once I kind of came out, I actually went to Arizona State for college. I wanted to get out of the cold yeah. and came to the extreme heat. So uh, I kind of had that, that flop go. And then I had a group of friends in Colorado as I was, you know, kind of growing up and, and when I'd go back home, you know, to visit while I was in college at Arizona State and they were, you know, heavily into it and, and growing, you know, kind of before, you know, it was even allowed to be growing, um, you know, in Colorado. But they were ready when the time came and the, the switch flipped in Colorado to, you know, legally cultivate for medical purposes. You know, they were ready, basically, you know, because they had kind of seen this coming. And, you know, it just amazed me every time I would, you know, be home and see their operation. They started off with, you know, a small warehouse, maybe, you know, 5,000 square feet or something like that. And then they got another warehouse that was about 12 or 11,000 square feet. And it just amazed me. It blew my mind that this was actually, you know, now a legal business that, you know, <laughs> people were, <laughs> were doing. And so, yeah. you know, it always kind of stuck in the back of my head. And, you know, I kind of had an off and on relationship with cannabis and not like, you know, I didn't like it and I liked it, but just different points in my life where, you know, there was, it wasn't really something that I could use or did use or, you know, there's a part, you know, where I was, I had a young kid and I was in law school and this, that, and the other, and it just didn't fit in. And there wasn't a lot of it here in Arizona because Arizona wasn't like Colorado. So, you know, there's some times and periods in my life where it just wasn't, you know, really in front of me, but it was always in the back of my mind that, you know, this is something that's coming. You know, I've been in financial advising right after college. Um, so I got, you know, series seven and 66 and 63 and all that. I went through mm -hmm. all that and you kind of see these emerging markets. Cannabis was never really on the scope or the radar for anybody, but you know, you'd see these emerging markets and I just kept in the back of my mind that, you know, cannabis, it's catching steam. And, you know, this is probably going to be one of those industries that, um, some point, you know, becomes very mainstream and, and lucrative and, and, um, and just accept it. And so after college, I actually moved back to Denver for a while. And I, you know, I didn't work with them, but I kind of, you know, stayed around them. They're, you know, friends of mine since high school. So mm -hmm. known them very well. But I got tired of the cold again, decided to move back to Arizona after about four or five years after graduating college. And um, still was working in finance. And then I, at some point, I just kind of got tired of chasing people down for their money. And I decided <laughs> that... Uh, I wanted to go to law school because a lot of my friends out here, the people that I hung around with were lawyers already or went to law school. So went ahead and decided to do that, switched careers at about 30, went to law school. And after that, I was like, you know what, I'm not working for anybody else. I'm going to work for myself. So I got yeah. out, started my own firm. Then I ended up partnering up with um, somebody that I went to law school with, and we had a firm for about three years. And we were kind of keeping that in the back of our heads, too, that, hey, cannabis is, you know, it's something that maybe we could even get out of doing this law thing because while, you know, law is is great and all it's you know every morning is getting up and it's everybody else's problem but your own yep. and it was me and one partner and we had you know i had probably 100 cases he probably had 100 cases i mean we were just you know we were overworking ourselves yeah so we started trying to get into cannabis not only in arizona he had a um a money guy i guess we'd call him a you know a, a super ultra wealthy individual that had mentored him coming up and so uh -huh. he's in Ohio. That guy was in Ohio. He was very interested in cannabis as well. And so we started kind of pairing with him, trying to find the right deal. Um, we looked at several dispensaries in Denver. 
thank God for lots of reasons that none of those worked out and actually <laughs> didn't really end up working out with my ex law partner. He kind of went a different direction. Mm-hmm. Um, but I stuck with it. And that was one thing, you know, that kind of just, you know, sticks out with me is that, you know, I was like, I'm not going to give up on this. We tried in Arkansas cause my dad is from Arkansas. Uh-huh. So we actually spent tons of money on an application for Arkansas. I went down there probably six or seven times trying to find properties and, you know, and find, let me tell you, if you want to find something that's not near a church or a school in the South, <laughs> it is tough. <laughs> good luck. Yeah. So, you know, but we, we had great help down there and then, you know, Arkansas comes out and there's all kinds of corruption with the applications and there's a lawsuit and an injunction and, you know, so we, you know, went through all that, wasted a bunch of money. I actually tried to bring my group from Colorado into that because they wanted to cultivate in other states. And so, you know, they were involved in that and it just didn't work out. But <clears throat> at the point where I kind of felt like maybe this is not going to work and, you know, I was kind of giving up. I, um, my college roommate who is in New York now, he's probably one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life and heavy cannabis user. And it doesn't affect him at all. I mean, he's been the vice president of, you know, divisions of JP Morgan and all this stuff. So he's a financial number cruncher dude. They ended up, uh, him and a couple other guys ended up, um, starting a private equity fund in New York. That's all cannabis based. And so from that, I, you know, I kept that in mind and he's like, you know, keep going, you know, find, we'll find something. And, um, I had met a broker that was kind of within real estate, but he also had his pulse on the cannabis market here in Arizona and he was bringing me different deals and, um, nothing kind of seemed to pan out. But that last one that he finally brought me was basically Hannah as we know it now and the brand Dutchie, which is our, our mainstream pre-roll brand that, you know, we can't even produce enough of here in Arizona. But yeah. they had kind of already gotten that started. And it was a situation where the two owners had been business partners. One guy had the money, the other guy had the smarts. And so, you know, they did as much as they can and as much as the uh, the investor was comfortable with to get to, you know, Hana to where it was at the time. Uh-huh. I brought it in front of my uh, my college roommate and his group in New York Mm-hmm. And now we're here and they helped us purchase this business. And, uh, you know, and I'm an equity owner. We brought in a, a good person to, for our president and CEO. Um, and um, so we, him and I have been kind of just keeping this ship going and, and doing all the <laughs> things that they wanted us to do to kind of increase the footprint and, and get our brands out there and, and keep this thing moving. Yeah. And I'm curious, just kind of going from law into cannabis. I mean, I, I can see the kind of the logical opportunity and the um, kind of thinking behind it, what, what were some of the challenges of making the switch or, or kind of focusing on cannabis, you know, from a you know personal point of view, from a professional point of view, what were some of the transitional challenges of getting into cannabis from as, as a lawyer? You know, I kind of, you know, I, I basically, when my uh, ex-law partner and I split ways, um, you know, I was kind of running my own firm and it just happened to be great timing, honestly, because, you know, I didn't have you know, set schedule. I wasn't working for a firm. I wasn't, you know, being an associate and, you know, I just couldn't do that anymore because I had been in that finance environment for so long with these, you know, UBS and E-Trade and Merrill Lynch. Those are the three, you know, I worked for. And, you know, you're, you know, I'm sad to say, but you're kind of a peon until, you know, you've hit these big accounts. And even when you're in that, in that industry in finance, it's like, all this money that you're bringing in and you're getting paid peanuts on it. And this firm is taking this huge amount. So I was like, I'm not doing that. I'm going to be by, you know, on my own or with a partner or whatever. So I actually had the flexibility and the time to kind of switch over. And I'm not 
out of law. You know, I still practice law. I still have, you know, my firm. I still have a couple of cases on the outside here and there that come up. But, you know, this industry needs legal help. You know what I mean? It's it's become, I always say this, a big girl and big boy, you know, industry. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of regulation in the industry. There's a lot of money and deals being done. And there's a lot of, you know, intellectual property and things to protect. And so, it's kind of been almost seamless. I feel like I, I, you know, I don't go out and flaunt to the bar and, you know, to all of their attorneys that I'm in cannabis. A lot of them know it. And there's a lot of, you know, attorneys that are in cannabis now, but you know, whether it's been accepted or, you know, looked at differently by the Arizona bar, I don't really know. Cause I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not in that kind of, I guess, realm, but for me, it was kind of seamless. And now, you know, I'm, I have work with cannabis and I, you know, I've got a contract I'm drafting right now that's, you know, 20 something pages. So I, it's, I'm doing the same work, but it's yeah. enjoyable and it's, <laughs> and it's for a cannabis operation and I love it. It's, and it's for yourself in a kind of way yeah. rather than, <laughs> rather myself. than, this, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So tell me, and tell me about the, the actual purchase process. I mean, I think, um, uh, you know, have, having bit of having having been part of sales, having been uh, of my own companies and, and helping other people at their companies, you know, there's always um, <laughs> it's always an experience. Um, oh, wow. what, what are some kind of you know what were kind of the learnings or what give give us some insights on uh, how the process worked? Like, what was really key to making it successful? How have you kind of navigated that? Yeah. Um I don't like to toot my own horn and I'm never that person. I'm a, I'm a very humble person, but I feel like I was extremely instrumental in getting yeah. this purchase done because it there it's just, there's so many characters there's so much things, you know, so many things that go on and it wasn't, you know, it's not, it's getting evolving into a more professional, like I say, big girl, big boy business. But even a couple of years ago when we, when we got this transaction done, the owners at the time, and I, I I love the seller, and he's a he's a New York guy. Um, he's a guy that's fiery. He's just he's New York, you know. This one of the sellers uh, that, that sold to us is a, you know he's just a New York guy, if you can imagine that. And our team, you know, my my college roommate and his his private equity fund are you know they're registered with the SEC. They're across the board, you know, they're on top of their stuff because they have to be. You know, this is a you know they're dealing with you know, almost a billion dollars worth of money that they're investing into all these portfolio companies. And so while the sellers that we bought this from were trying to close this in 30 days, it ended up taking six months and it ended up being multiple like, Hey, we're done. We're not doing this to the point where at one point I was like, you know how much stress this is causing me to get this transaction (laughs) done. And I'm not even the one drafting all this stuff. I mean, it was, you know, we had a, a huge purchase agreement that, you know, kind of ended up being drafted and all kinds of exhibits because there's intellectual property, there's brands. Oh, yeah. You know, there's a lot of money being exchanged and, and the private equity fund that, you know, that um, my college roommate runs, um, you know, they were coming and paying cash. We weren't offering stock. We're not buying, you know, offering mm-hmm. stock and the stuff that, you know, is on paper and who knows what's going to happen with it. So they were like, hey, I mean, we're offering you cash. We can get this done or we can't. We're going to work through it on our terms and our and our timetable. Mm-hmm. And it took six months. And I was sitting in the what is now Hannah, not as an employee, but kind of as an intermediary through this whole process. And, you know, the seller liked me. And I think I'm the glue that kind of helped keep this together because yeah. my, my college roommate, he doesn't really take any mess. This, you know, the guy that sold it to us. Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot of headbutting and a lot of egos. And we had attorneys that pulled out and said, I'm not oh, talking to this person. There's always egos. So, 
<laughs> so it it can take time, but it, but it was done correctly. And the people that do it in 30 days or 45 days are probably the ones that end up in court. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. we had all of our T's crossed and our I's dotted. We got it done. And it was it was almost weird. The day that we closed the deal was the least, like, the least, you know, I guess, rambunctious day that we had. Like, it was just... interesting peaceful and quiet and yeah. signs were done and that was it <laughs> <laughs> everyone just wanted to get it over with yeah and it's like wow but we made it so it's a little anticlimactic at times yeah, when you exactly. finally get everything done yeah. exactly and and when did you do when did you complete the sale when was uh, that july of 2019 all right so so what was the situation of arizona in, in july 19 <clears throat> how did you kind of see the market at that point Definitely growing steadily. It was uh, obviously at that point still completely just medical, yeah. but, you know, medical patients each year were, you know, increasing, you know, at least twofold, if not more, you know. Um, and so it was a burgeoning market, but it was not yet, you know, uh, it was not yet adult use and, you know, still pretty very heavily regulated. There was, I think, a lot of issues with uh, the Department of Health Services, who here is is in control of uh, you know the the they call it marijuana. I never say marijuana anymore, but the the cannabis program, and they've had a lot of turnover themselves. You know there was you know quite a bit a bit of litigation going on, and what it you know kind of comes down to is a lot of the bad actors are being weeded out of the uh, pun intended, I guess, of the industry, <laughs> and um, so. It was newer, but, you know, but still growing and um, still exciting. And, of course, you know, we're still a limited license market, although there's, you know, some new ones coming out here soon. But, Mm -hmm. you know, we're a limited license state. And so, you know, it was kind of if you can get your hands on it, you can get your hands on it. But, you know, if you can, it's it's kind of difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so that was 19. So we went uh, Arizona went recreational legal January 1st, 2021, correct? Yeah, it was, and that was kind of a, an interesting rollout because, yeah. you know, we, Tell me about it that. was on the ballot in November of 2020 and um, fully expected to pass just because they had tried in uh, 16 and just lost by a narrow margin. And there was a heavy, yep. heavy opposition group that had spent a lot of money at that time to be anti cannabis. And ironically, I think a couple of those people ended up in prison that were the anti. Yeah. And uh, in a lot of legal trouble for for other reasons. But it was fully expected to pass here okay. in, in in November of 2020, which it did. And then, you know, we were all, you know, hearing and the kind of the whisper was it would probably be about six months. So April or, or so until, you know, it'd be enacted. But it was literally, I think, somewhere in mid-January where... You know, they made it less, they made it very unburdensome to, to do it. And, um, you know, basically, if you had your license, you were in good standing, you were ready to do so, um, you could show, you know, packaging. And so I had kind of felt like this was coming. And so I kind of, we had some packaging changes that we were thinking about anyway. And so we made sure that the packaging changes that we were doing back in the early part of 2020 during the pandemic, you know, were childproof. We started working out, you know, getting because we have on our, our brand of Dutchies, um, we had a bunch of the, the previous owners had a bunch of artwork that they had for the different strain names. Mm-hmm. And some of them are cartoonish and some of them are appealing to children. And so we just started, yeah. you know, looking at packaging without that cartoon you know, aspect, but keeping the mm-hmm. same look. 
So we were prepared, you know what I mean? And so Arizona rolled it, rolled it out in uh, mid-January. We kind of took our time a little bit. I think we first were approved in February um, just because we wanted to make sure we had our stores in line, work out the kinks, yeah. uh, make sure. And we were actually switching software platforms as well for our POS. So, so we were, I think, up and running about February of uh, this year for uh, adult use. We're going to take a quick break to hear some words from our sponsors. And now back to our program. Yeah. Do you think other companies were not as prepared for this transition? No, I mean, I think, you know, I, what I heard in the beginning, you know, I'd say in January, there's probably one or two or three, you know, operations that went ahead and switched to adult use. And I think it kind of picked up steam as February and March came along. So I think we were all caught off guard about by how easy it was or how Unburden, less burdensome it was, you know, to mm-hmm. to switch over to adult use or to add adult use than we thought it was going to be. And, you know, the Arizona Department of uh, Health Services has gone to this online portal, which there's still some hiccups with that and they're working through. But basically with inside the online portal, you could upload your attestations and you could upload, you know, whatever documentation they were looking for. And if you're in good standing, you know, basically it was like they flipped the switch and said, you're good to go. And now you could start selling adult use as long as you had kind of got your packaging and you, cause like, you know, edibles, you couldn't have over a certain amount of milligrams and they had to be you know delineated and all that stuff. And so, you know, as long as you had all that in, in order, you know, they were kind of like, go ahead. And they were like, you know, we're going to surprise inspect you at some point, obviously, yeah. but you know, <laughs> you're good to go. So it was, it was, uh, it was refreshing that it didn't, you know, that it wasn't some, you know, huge burdensome process where you had to, you know, you know, give away your kids to, to get it done. <laughs> yeah. And how, and what is the market like? I mean, what was the market pre, pre January 1st and what's been the market kind of growth since, uh, adult use has been legalized? Um, it is, it's been steady and, um, and it's, and it's picking up and still to this day picking up, you know, we have, um, two stores and we, you know, we kind of been a transition, you know, throughout this whole thing because we had, um, we have a store south of Tucson in Green Valley and that's just kind of like steady state. Um, it's a, it's an older population in the area that we're at. And so the recreational down there. There has been an increase, but because we're in this kind of small city that's kind of right in between, you know, the Mexico border and Tucson, and there's not much down there besides a a few communities, you know, there's still a lot of people that are using medical and medical, obviously you don't have to pay as much because you're not paying all that taxes. So we've seen a definite increase with, um, with adult use, but you know, that store is not one that's going to be just like, you know, uh, 21 year olds coming out of the woodworks to buy, you know, can- yeah. cannabis. And then we had our Kingman store, which is of course up there close to uh, the Nevada and Arizona border. And I think a lot of people used our store, you know, on the way to in Las Vegas and on the way out of Las Vegas because, you know, the prices were a lot better, yeah. um, which they shouldn't have been doing, but, you know, I'm sure people were doing that. And, <laughs> and we had, you know, and Kingman is, uh, you know, it's 30,000 people and it's kind of a, just a weird area and, you know, it's kind of a lot of blue collar and, you know, people passing through and there's, you know, a pretty good crime rate there and stuff like that. So we ended up moving that store down here to Phoenix and we got that store moved and opened. Um, we didn't open it until June of this year. So we 
have a new store in Phoenix that we're now, you know, gaining traction on. And, and you know, we've seen a big spike in, in, in you know, both medical and adult use patients coming or uh, customers and, and patients coming in. But we kind of had to transition and open a new store, you know, in the middle of this as well. So um, we're still ramping up and we're still, you know, extremely excited about the numbers that we probably will be doing um, here in the next, you know, next year. Yeah. And I'm curious on, you know, your operational kind of setup and how you've chosen to kind of integrate, you know, cultivation, processing, the retail, like give us a little breakdown of how you've structured the organization from a kind of department phase of development point of view. Yeah. And uh, obviously it's great to to have a full vertical capability here in Arizona. So whenever mm-hmm. you get a license, you can you know do top to bottom of, uh, you know, the plant. And one thing that, you know, we notice in California, for example, is like, if you're not if you're not, if you don't have a nursery, if you don't have your own clones and you're getting stuff from other places and you don't know where it's coming from, that's why California has a lot of these operations that, you know, come up with disease and yeah. you know, they lose crops because you don't know where it's coming from. And so yeah. and the great thing about, you know, when we took over this business and still to this day is that we have mother plants, we take our clones from the mother plants and we start our babies in our nurseries and we grow them, you know, top to bottom. And so we're not introducing any strains from anybody else at this time, um, you know. And so we've we've kept a clean operation and not had to worry about a lot of, you know, changes in genetics. Now, can we get better genetics and, and do, you know, different things? Yes. And, and we may, you know, explore that at some point, but you have to be very careful with that. And so top to bottom, we grow our, our flower. We have the outdoor uh, greenhouse flower, which we predominantly put into Dutchy, our, our pre-roll brand. So yeah. we grow that flower for our pre-rolls. We don't grow it uh, for anything else. We do wholesale some of it on occasion when we do have you know excess, but that flower is grown specifically for our pre-rolls. And so we're not just, you know, giving you a house pre-roll that is shake or, you know, the bottom of the barrel. We actually, you know, we harvest the bud, hang it, dry it, cure it. And then we trim it or machine trim it. And then that bud is ground down and it's, you know, it's hand rolled. We actually now have a, a machine that's exciting as well, but we, we have a pre-roll machine. Um, so it goes into the pre-rolls and that's why they're wildly popular because we're actually growing the flower for that pre-roll and it's, you know, it's premium flower. Um, we also we also have our indoor cultivation in Tempe, Arizona, which um, we, we have a 60,000 square foot building, um, I'd say, Right now, we're probably operating about 20,000 square foot of it between a kitchen and indoor cultivation. And we've got some empty warehouse space, but there's, you know, packaging and stuff like that. But we are going to build out a lot more of that indoor probably next year. But that indoor, because we don't produce, you know, a huge amount indoor, um, it basically feeds our shops. And if we have, again, any excess, we do wholesale at bulk to um, two other operators and so within that, you know, we, we feed our shops, we do, uh, you know, make our own concentrates. We have uh, Dutch, well, we don't make our own concentrates. We actually have a lab, third-party lab that, um, that does the, um, the uh, extraction yeah. for us. And then, yeah. uh, you know, we sell concentrates out of that. But we have a kitchen where we produce Revival, which is our uh, edible line. And we have a, mm-hmm. you know, a, a cook that's, you know, he's been with uh, five-star restaurants here in the Valley. So he's really meticulous about what he does. And, you know, we mm-hmm. take, we take Keef. From the flour that we grind for Dutchie, we use that keef and infuse it into coconut oil 
And that's the base of all of our edible products, which are chocolates and brownies and gummies and a lollipop. So, you know, it's top to bottom. We're using the whole plant, you know, everywhere that we can and, you know, using it in our brands. And then, you know, obviously we have the retail stores where we carry, you know, all kinds of 30 part, third party brands. But, you know, we obviously highlight Dutchie yeah. and Revival. And now last year we did sign uh, uh, an exclusive deal with uh, Willie's Reserve here in Arizona. Mm, yeah. So we're the only ones in uh, Arizona right now that are uh, nice. putting out Willie Reserve, Willie's Reserve's uh, pre-rolls. And so we're doing a, a three, stra- three strains of that right now. So, yeah, so that's kind of uh, the gist of, of how we operate. Nice. And, and tell me about the brand side. I mean, I think that, you know, the, this cannabis industry as it matures, it's becoming very kind of brand focused or brands are going to be really key to the future of the industry. How mm-hmm. have you approached that? I mean, what has been your kind of strategy around continuing your brands, developing new brands, you know, <laughs> the different products you have under the brands? Give me some insights. Yeah, I mean, it's... Um we were lucky that this wasn't just the, you know, hey, we're selling weed type operation that we bought. I, I do give credit again to the my little feisty New York uh, previous owner who, <laughs> you know, was like, hey, I want pre-rolls in a pack, almost like cigarettes. And I want a convenience of being able to take those wherever, a concert, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. And so five, you know, half gram joints in a box and the boxes that we used to use were basically like a little cigarette box we'd have a little zippy you know zip bag with the the pre-rolls inside the box Mm -hmm. but the box was cool we had this you know the cellophane wrap around it and all that and so it was almost like you know kind of like a cigarette feel but for joints and now it's a slide pack but the box is really nice and we still like the slide pack because of the child proof uh, portion of it but Mm -hmm. but brands are huge and so dutchy i think that was one of the huge key points of why this deal got done is that you know that brand itself was one probably the original pre-roll brand i think it was the original pre-roll brand Mm -hmm. two is done with quality and you know we just we couldn't we can't we still can't produce enough of it and we're we're trying to get to that point but you know there's points last year where we almost didn't have any inventory of dutchies around and now we do but a lot of it is spoken for and you know we just keep on trying to play catch up because it's wildly popular so and why do do you think that is like what made that so popular and the the demand so high I think one, just the convenience of, uh, you know, the pack. And then two, once you try it and know that you're not getting the bottom of the barrel that, you know, somebody rolled up in the dispensary, you know, <laughs> yeah. the, the left the floor. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Then you know the difference. And so they're potent, you know, they, they, they're tasty, you know, the terpenes are there. So it's, it's just a different experience and, and we, we take care in it, you know what I mean? So it's not just like, Hey, here's a, a pre-roll that we stuck in a tube and you can you know try this out so i think it's all that and then brand recognition and just brand you know getting the brand out there I, I will say on the other side of that though edibles is you know in every market is is heavily saturated there's so many edible yeah. brands and so our revival line was actually named love carissa prior prior to us rebranding it and that was because the first chef of the the the, uh, the sellers her name was carissa so she decided to name it after herself but that didn't appeal to anybody really you know there's people like well, yeah. who's carissa and you know, <laughs> why should i love her <laughs> yeah so you know revival um while we love it you know it's it's a tough category and so you know yeah. does it do as well as dutchy no because there's so many out there and so you know we always evaluate that stuff and kind of figure out you know what's the best thing but we don't want to go too far outside of what our strengths are and that's you know dutchy and so the dutchy concentrates that we've you know we've kind of der- derived out of you know the, the brand itself pre-rolls is wildly popular now too and so you know mm-hmm. as much as that 
that we can uh, we can produce what we will um but i'd say it's key those are the people that are going to stick around are the ones that have you know you know brands that are recognized brands that are quality and a lot of people are starting to figure out stuff and i mean went through that whole vape crisis you know we're probably going to do some vape pens at some point but we don't want to do anything that has solvents and, 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 you know, harsh chemicals or anything like that in yeah. there because we already seen what happened with that. And so it just tastes better to do, you know, whether it's, you know, live rosin or live rosin or whether it's, you know, flash frozen and, and, you know, so that's the things, the quality, I think, and the brands that are quality um, and that, you know, take care of their consumers are the ones that are going to last. And that's what we're trying to be. Yeah. Anything you're looking for and or looking at in the future, either re- with the Arizona market or federal market, like what's what's on your kind of watch list on how this how this is playing out? Yeah, I mean, obviously, we would love to be able to take our brands elsewhere. I mean, we're not a humongous operation now that we can just deploy. Yeah, we probably could, but I think we want to ca- make sure that we are the juggernaut in the Arizona market as far as you know, one that brand, but we also we want to be a you know distribution you know juggernaut here in Arizona as well. Um, and that could be you know if we have excess bulk flour because we're putting all this infrastructure into to grow more of it, you know that we can you know be a, a, a huge bulk distributor of, of a huge distributor of bulk flour as well. So um, while getting out of the state and going to other states is probably something down the road. I mean, I think we're, we're more focused in on making sure we're doing the best in this market now so that we don't, you know, dilute our brand or, or, you know, kind of mess up the good thing that we have going. So I think just continued growth of the Dutchie brand, whether it become, you know, vapes next, um, the concentrates picking up and, um, you know, kind of watching what we do with revival and, and see how that, that market goes. But, um, you know, to, to, to pinpoint exactly what our strengths are and to keep those going. And then, of course, we'll see down the road what happens federally and, and um, you know, how easy we can take our brand into, you know, other states. That would be great. Um, you know, especially the down here in the Southwest, Nevada, California, New Mexico, Colorado. I mean, I think our brand would do well, you know. And so that's kind of, I think, the, 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 the short-term, near-term look. And then we'll kind of just to see, we'll have to see how this this thing evolves as far as the federal government. I just I'm still baffled, and yeah. I'm sure everybody else is, is that you know that this is still this is a Schedule One. It almost <laughs> I don't you know I don't know why the lawsuits haven't worked, but like yeah. you can't research something and call it non you know medical yeah, research yeah, having like, no <laughs> no redeeming quality yeah yeah like okay yeah 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 I think we we're in violent agreement on that one. Uh, the lot of this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, about the brand, about Hana, what's the best way to get that information? Our websites, I mean, the dutchybrand.com is where you can find all the information about Dutchy. And then Hana Dispensaries, plural, is where you can uh, see our shops. And, um, you know, that's it for the most part. I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm a, a, a cog in the wheel and I'm, you know, trying to get us to, uh, you know, to whatever that promised land is, but to obviously. <laughs> Um, you know, keep the market in Arizona with our with our brands and our products for you know front and center, and you know just bring good quality cannabis to Arizona. Yep. And and I'm having a good time. And uh, who knows what the next venture is? I love wine. Maybe I'll do you know Ooh. wine and cannabis at some point. But um, you know that's <laughs> that's I love down it. the road. So I love it. We'll um, we'll, do, we'll we'll get you on an episode then when you when you launch that brand. <laughs> yeah. Um. I, one thing I did want to mention though, you know, is that we. Yeah? We are doing this, you know, the social equity thing is rolling out here in Arizona. So there's uh-huh. be about 26 licenses, I think, that are uh, that are going to be allotted for social equity. And, and it's going to be, you know, 
it's gone okay places and it, it may be a little bit, you know, shaky here because, yeah. you know, they're not going to limit anybody from selling these licenses. And so, you know, I like the mom and pop feel that we have and I like mom and pop. I mean, I know that, you know, big industries are coming into this. I know that, you know, alcohol and pharmaceuticals and all that are, are scratching and knocking at the door because I already know because we've already heard about it. And, you know, I hope that we can keep some mom and pop, you know, in this industry and some, you know, some true, you know, old heads, I guess you'd call it in this industry. But, you know, there's also going to be some growth and some regulation and some, you know, some bigger companies that get into this. So I hope it can all just kind of work together. And, and I do hope that, you know, being an African-American male, I do hope that, you know, some minorities get their hands into this because, you know, as we know, there's been a lot of, um, been a lot of unfair treatment to all kinds of colors of people, you know, with cannabis and it just, it needs to be rectified. And I hope that, you know, my story for, you know, anybody that's, you know, a minority and anybody in period, you know, I, I, I love all people, whatever, but I hope that people understand that, you know, you can do this, you can, you know, set goals and, and, and do what you dream of and, and keep at it. And I almost gave up. And, you know, now I'm in a position that maybe cannabis can, you know, set up my kids for their future. And, you know, and that's what I intend to do one way or another. And so I just hope that, you know, everybody sticks with it and that we get, you know, a broader spectrum of people in this in this industry. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. We've we've covered it a little bit on the program, but um, Mm -hmm. yeah, every everyone's, uh, I think, very well intentioned. I think the programs we've learned from uh, Mm -hmm. and we continue to learn from um, and hopefully we'll see. You know, better, more effective, you know, long-term, more effective programs that that really help change, you know, some of the equity and some of the wealth and and where this holds. And yeah, it, it's great. It's an amazing opportunity in cannabis to really change some of the game here. But we got to do it right. So and to comments. give you a plug, uh, yeah. you actually were the first, and I didn't even realize this until um, just kind of running it in my head as we yeah. talked um, earlier uh, in the year. You were the first podcast and the only podcast I've actually listened to on cannabis. And I was like, he sounds so familiar, you know, because I and I. <laughs> I hadn't listened for a little bit, but I'm, I'm going to get back into it. And your podcasts have been great. And, uh, you know, I appreciate the opportunity to uh, to speak with you today and, and hopefully some people here and, and uh, you know, learn a little bit more and, and figure out that they can do this as well. Yeah, no, it's my pleasure. I'm glad. Uh, I'm glad it's been helpful. It's been fun. Thank you. Delano, thank you so much for taking the time today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Bruce. Take care. That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content. Visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.